very good afternoon uh, uh, to everybody. Uh, we are here for um, our 20 minutes uh, coffee uh, with the specialists. Uh, today I have the great pleasure uh, for uh, our new friend and colleague and uh, specialist uh, that is uh, Neil Williams. Uh, very good afternoon, Neil. Good to see you. Thank you, Antonio. It's a pleasure to uh, engage with you again, even though I'm a bit nervous because I know you ask the most difficult questions. No way, no way. This is like a friendly chat. Uh, <laughs> you are, uh, I used to continue to have like a quote, you know, that I'm still learning, but uh, something that I've been uh, learning from uh, my grandfather, you have to learn from the people that are better than you. Uh, so that's the reason why I'm talking with you. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna chat uh, uh, with you, and uh, this is like the first one uh, of our series. Now that, uh, that uh, as you know, this is a quarterly uh, chat that we are going to have with you. Uh, uh, Neil, you are. Uh, I don't. I don't want to introduce you that much. I would like that you spend just 15 seconds. Uh, uh, since again, it's the first time. Uh, uh, if you can give me an highlight, give us uh, an highlights about uh, your uh, role uh, and uh, that's it, enlighten us. Well, thank you, Antonio. Um, I'd be delighted to. I'm, I'm an economist and I apologize uh, for that. Um, and it will be quite a challenge to uh, limit my, my, my session to just 20 minutes, but I will, I will try quite hard. Um, I, I'm, I'm chief economist for OMFIF, uh, which is the official monetary and financial institutions forum. Uh, what we are is an independent, independent think tank that provides a, a bridge between the policy setters, central banks and governments on the one hand, and of course the private sector and investors uh, on the other hand. So um, I am, uh, my background is investment banking, asset management and economic policy. And uh, I think uh, that's I will, I will leave the, the summary there for you, Antonio. Definitely. Uh, I, I actually, I want to use like uh, uh, this uh, possibility uh, to talk uh, and discuss with you uh, uh, for my clients, for our clientele, no? for, the, for the audience uh, that we receive uh, our record. Uh, let's, uh, let's jump immediately in the, the first question that I would like. We're going to talk with you about macroeconomics, you know, from also the, your view as an economist, as chief economist, your view uh, as chatting uh, daily you know, with policymakers. Uh, um, actually, the, 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 I would like uh, to use, uh, this is uh, at the end of the day, the wrap up of the year. Uh, uh, if you can give uh, uh, me, us, um, what is your uh, uh, macro update uh, and uh, taking in consideration the whole 2020? Uh, we, we have only 20 minutes. I would like to ask you other questions. So I'm going to ask you to keep an eye on the timer. Uh, and also, uh, uh, after that, actually, what, what in your view are the major risks uh, that we have to think uh, and have into consideration and their impact on the markets? It's a long one, but I'm pretty sure that you're gonna you you you're gonna summarize and bring like the Jewish to us. No problems, thank you, Antonio. Uh, well, I, I know Antonio, you're a football fan, and we've just had uh, just before this recording the Football World Cup uh, climax. Sadly, your team Italy and my team Wales uh, weren't able to do well. But I, I make the comparison, uh, just like the World Cup final at 2022, in terms of the macro. And the policy 
uh, was a bit like a year of two very different halves. Uh, I say that because uh, we at OMFIV have our own uh, litmus test, a test of market conditions and macro thinking by running a survey every six months. The, the survey that we ran um, in June of this year, uh, where respondents were answering uh, after the start of the, uh, the tragic war uh, involving Russia and Ukraine, uh, nonetheless, it looked as though risk trades uh, were still uh, on the table. There was no obvious uh, signal uh, that, um, uh, that, uh, that asset managers uh, at central banks, reserve managers, uh, were looking uh, to take risk off. What a difference six months make, uh, because uh, in December, when we released a couple of weeks ago, uh, our survey of uh, pension and sovereign wealth funds, the asset managers there uh, were far more bearish on market conditions. Um, they were indicating an intention towards more, more active, but more conservative strategies. Uh, and uh, the obvious candidates, for example, higher rated, longer maturity bonds, safe haven currencies. Um, and I guess largely because the macro forces in the first half of the year, geopolitics uh, and inflation, were spilling over and in intensifying into the second half of the year. And just, just very briefly, if I may, three things that, that come out of this, which I think are important for next year. The first one uh, is that in terms of um, objectives for investment for the year ahead, target return and capital preservation are still the most important. But capital preservation is growing while target return is falling, which reminds me of the old adage. And Antonio, your, uh, your experience is long enough to remember the, these, sort of, uh, these sort of mottos in markets, uh, that in a bear market, it's the return of your money uh, that becomes more important than the return on your money. So that's one slightly more uh, bearish uh, sign that was coming. Uh, secondly, uh, inflation protection was being sought from the obvious assets, real estate, infrastructure, inflation-linked government bonds, and also commodities. And I guess commodities because also geopolitical risk was expected to build. Um, and also further from that, uh, there was a shift a little away from equities after the stellar run we had for uh, up to the midpoint of this year into uh, perceived less riskier assets on currencies, North America, uh, Europe were preferred uh, to other regions. Uh, where currencies were expected to be reduced in exposure, they included uh, the renminbi, um, though still from a high level, but also of interest to us in London, the pound, uh, largely, I guess, because of the memory of the gyrations we had in financial markets in the UK uh, in September and October. And just finally, on China, as I, as I mentioned, uh, China assets are still important for the reserve managers and asset managers that we hear from, 90% of whom hold China. But the reason for doing so now is, has got more to do with benchmarking and diversification than being uh, more upbeat about economic prospects. So a long answer, I do apologize to your very good first question, but it does seem there's been a shift within the year from a more reserve, uh, from a more risk on environment to a more conservative one. And so I would imagine into next year with central bank banks still tightening interest rates, uh, that we might see more active strategies, but more conservative. And that, I think, fits with the sort of cautious macro view that I certainly have looking into the year ahead. Uh, definitely, absolutely. Uh, thank you. Thank you for those, uh, all those uh, insights, Neil. So uh, uh, you mentioned about uh, uh, 
uh, one risk, no? I catch it. Uh, that is like at the end of the day, uh, uh, the war in Ukraine uh, that still continue to be very uh, uh, close to us. You mentioned about the risk of trades also. Uh, uh, do you, uh, I mean, one uh, probably of the other major macro risk, you know, it's inflation, I guess, right? Uh, I did hear this one from you. Uh, there is a specific reason behind that. You think that the war in Ukraine uh, risk is higher uh, than the rest? And then, of course, uh, this uh, we know that has some kind of consequences. Uh, no, energy crisis increasing more. Uh, um, so uh, I would like to 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 touch this point. What, you, what I would like actually to hear your point of view as a as an economist. Yes, certainly, and of course, inflation and the outlook for it and the response to it is absolutely critical uh, for next year. Um, the, the two main risks cited by the um, policy officials we speak to, but the reserve managers, the asset managers as well, um, are growing. And those risks were inflation and geopolitics, mm. but with a, a, a health warning on the inflation, because it's also coupled with the majority of whom expect economies uh, to get worse. So for me, okay. increasingly, the concern last this year has been, yes, inflation. And let's remember that many, many of our colleagues in this sector have for many years not really lived with meaningful inflation and higher interest rates. Somebody said to me that one had to be over 40 years old uh, in the financial sector in London to even have last lived through um, the last time we had meaningful inflation increases. But if it's coupled with economy slowing, uh, it sort of fits with uh, the, the suspicion that I've long had, which is it's the wrong type of inflation. What do I mean that by that? It's more led by cost inflation, uh, especially things like energy prices, something uh, into the northern hemisphere that we're all hugely acutely aware of, of course, um, and also transport costs and food, things that uh, have perhaps hit us in the pocket more than benefit us. Um, and rather than the good old fashioned, um, and I know you can remember this as well, Antonio, good old fashioned feel good demand inflation for which we used to get paid. It seems to be more cost than demand. Uh, in which case central banks have a dilemma. They will continue to raise interest rates. Mm. We know the main central banks now uh, are either pulling on both levers or about to. Uh, I'm including there the ECB that will begin to run quantitative tightening uh, passively um, ne next, next, from next spring. But they're doing so aware that a bulk of this inflation is cost, not demand. In which case, one of the big risks for me, apart from geopolitics next year, uh, is that central banks overdo it. They take interest rates because of the, the dogma they have, the need to get their, their policy tools back at a time where economies are already slowing, in which case uh, they may bring forward and deepen uh, the likely recessions that many of the major economies uh, may already be experiencing. Absolutely. I appreciate, uh, Neil. You touched very, very relevant uh, uh, points uh, to further discussions. In fact, uh, I, uh, I'm curious to see, for example, in the next quarter, how the things is going to happen, because we had uh, actually last week, no, uh, the, the latest ECB uh, uh, meeting, uh, we had like a few weeks ago, the Fed again, we're going to see what's going to happen. Um, but uh, uh, touching actually on this point uh, that you just mentioned, it was uh, not the reason 
uh, as a reason. It was a reason behind uh, asking you about inflation because I very much recall uh, when we last, um, uh, uh, the last met uh, actually in person, it was uh, during uh, uh, the, your conference, the wealth management conference that you guys uh, invited me. It was a pleasure for me uh, uh, to invite by you guys the last June. And uh, I recall very well uh, that uh, uh, you mentioned about your uh, extensive uh, experience uh, uh, based in Japan, no? based uh, uh, in Asia. Uh, so uh, uh, I would like actually to touch uh, and use uh, your experience because I mean, I think uh, uh, there is uh, this uh, quote now of talking about the Japanization of the market no? because uh, they are the one that are uh, uh, far behind us in terms of experience of having this uh, 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 this this market situation oh you have like um, the rg7 country very rich but the market doesn't grow that much uh, uh, interest rate inflation uh, uh, so my question is uh, uh, if you can if you think uh, uh, that uh, uh, we have some lessons that we can learn uh, from Japan, because it's like, oh, I think probably two decades that they are living uh, with this uh, macro environment. And uh, if uh, eventually, uh, do you think that we can uh, copy, no? Uh, somehow the similarities that uh, they've been experiences, experiencing, and uh, if uh, we can use it in, uh, in Europe or the policymaker can use it in Europe. And also attached to this uh, very big question, a very important question, I say, I would say, how we can apply eventually this Japanese experience in the US, in the, our European sort of investments? Well, that's, 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 a, that's a great question. And of course, it's, 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 it's little less fashionable now to talk about Japan because we have this, this problem of inflation which as I say to many people is, uh, is a surprise. But if, it, if, if I'm right in saying it's the wrong type of inflation, stagflation, then as we know from previous episodes uh, with stagflation, it tends to last not very long because of course demand suffers, the economy suffers. At some stage, central banks go too far on policy tightening, which is a risk this time round. Uh, and in that respect, I think maybe that talking about Japan as next year progresses uh, may once again build. Why do I say that? Because prior to, um, to uh, COVID and, of course, this tragic war, there were certain disinflationary forces underlying the surface. They, they were sort of under the surface, so they weren't particularly sexy, uh, but they were quite powerful. And I refer uh, here, of course, to things like technology, uh, to uh, demographics um, uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and things like um, the, the, the lower potential growth. Um, of, the, of the economy, we've had fairly low productivity for a number of reasons in different economies, which meant that uh, wage, uh, wage claims could not really be too successful. So all of these factors, it seems to me, are still under, un, under the surface. What, what does it mean? Well, in, in, in my view, it, it means that uh, we won't get back to the old kind of normal that we're used to for some time yet. And by normal, because I know, Antonio, you're going to ask me, what do you mean by normal? By, by normal there, uh, I mean uh, a time when interest rates are running consistently over inflation, something called positive real interest rates. Do you remember that? When people actually had a positive return on their money. Um, and secondly, uh, growth was guaranteed. Central bank was boring, not critical. Um, and uh, it was governments that did fiscal policy. 
not central banks that helped them out by buying assets. Now, before I, I show you a first killer picture, if I may, um, let, me, let me give you one figure, and the figure is $20 trillion. Why, why $20 trillion? Well, because that's the amount of liquidity through quantitative easing that the big four central banks effectively gave to the private sector um, after 2008. And to put that into perspective, that $20 trillion is equivalent to almost the GDP of the US or 115% of the GDP of China. So, and, it, and it's still largely hanging there. So in effect, uh, what has been created is a, is a G, G1 or G1 and a half economy through adding liquidity that has gone in various forms and directions within the, the private sector. Why is that important? Well, if I may show you that, um, that picture, if I may, which is a slightly strange looking picture, but as you know, Antonio, all my pictures are slightly strange. So uh, let me try to share my screen um, with, you, with you now. I hope you can you can see that okay, Antonio. Um, and this this odd odd chart uh, shows why um, quantitative easing of anything has proven to be disinflation, which is a complete surprise to what was expected back in two thousand and eight and two thousand and nine. Now, why do I say that? Because this is the chart the Bank of England used to use, and it applies also to the U.S. Fed and also ECB um, when they started using QE. The hope was that uh, by buying government bonds some corporate bonds, but mainly government bonds, the liquidity coming to us in the private sector would travel via two channels, uh, upwards in the diagram through asset prices, which I would argue did happen, is happening, and probably to some extent will continue to happen. Uh, but also secondly, in the lower part of the, the diagram, uh, by landing in everybody's pockets, and they ran to the shops and they bought things, and we had, uh, as if by magic, good old fashioned 2%, uh, CPI inflation. It didn't quite work that way uh, because asset prices went up. This lower channel didn't really work because uh, I think Mr. Mr. Keynes, the, the famous economist, would say we were in a liquidity trap uh, in terms of any money that came our way, we either, we either saved uh, or we used to, to, to draw down debt, certainly at least in the UK. Um, and as a result, the economy uh, stuttered. And so what happened, central banks did even more of it perpetuating a vicious circle. So you could argue that QE uh, ended up with those that potentially needed it least, those that had assets. And we have now a very slow process, an asymmetric process in unwinding that QE via quantitative tightening, where central banks are only now beginning to start uh, doing so. The Fed is doing it passively by no longer reinvesting everything. The ECB from spring will do the same thing. Uh, the Bank of England actually is leading by now gradually, very carefully selling back the assets, uh, though it's in doubt how aggressively you can do that when we had such volatility uh, in September and October. And of course, behind all of this, the Bank of Japan, uh, after 24 years of running QE, is not even looking at quantitative tightening. So there are a number of reasons. They're not above the surface. They're below the surface. Why it seems to me in this, um, in this high debt world, uh, where we still have bloated balance sheets held by central banks. A lot of liquidity still out there. Uh, but even with central banks now tightening, if they're making growth worse for next year, 
it seems to me that uh, Japan may yet still uh, be the, the test case for some others. And uh, if I can just at the risk, Antonio, showing you too many pictures, one more, if that's okay. Please uh, go ahead. We have uh, another uh, one minute. Oh, well, fine. In, in which case, this is, this is the chart I sometimes show uh, to investors and to other clients, uh, which is a reminder on this. This is looking at 10-year Japanese government bond deals on the, the red line. And uh, superimposed onto that is the 10-year yield for uh, US Treasury, German Bund, and UK guilt, and they're lagged 15 years. And it's a reminder, firstly, that even in a Japan scenario, bond deals can still go up temporarily. And secondly, um, I'm not convinced yet that the link uh, between the Japanese bond yields and the yields of other countries that have run such huge and long QE and are only slow to bring forward QT is yet broken. So I think uh, the analogy with Japan isn't obvious. Of course, there are differences, uh, different cultures. Um, uh, we don't yet have deflation, uh, we may do. Uh, but for me, there are still similarities under the surface, uh, which will help, in effect, uh, keep bond yields relatively low by historical standards, and also in turn prevent central banks eventually from going quite as far as many expect them to. Neil. Uh, it was uh, absolutely uh, delightful uh, and insightful. Uh, thank you for sharing these slides because you made it much more practical also. Uh, unfortunately, I have to tell you, we, uh, um, the time is over too much. I, I, I knew that uh, should be uh, more time added, but uh, that's the reason why uh, I'm uh, waiting for the next quarter already. Uh, we gonna. I already took. Uh, I was. I was with my head down because I was taking notes. Uh, I'm not waiting to review the record. It's like uh, so interesting that I'm already. Uh, so in the next one, actually, I would like to address with you uh, one of the major, I think, risks that we are going to live. That is this vast liquidity that is in the market debt. The debt situation that you touched. Uh, then. Uh, uh, one of the things that I catch from your uh, excellent uh, uh, points is uh, uh, that since the balance sheet of many companies, uh, many corporations had been uh, uh, injected by, uh, uh, by liquidity, especially from the central policy, the policy maker, uh, so I'm uh, all, uh, uh, all in in quality, no? uh, finding out uh, that balance sheet that have huge quality. So we're going to chat about that um, uh, in the next quarter. I'm uh, keeping already uh, picking up some points uh, for our next discussion. I would like to thank you uh, very much for your time, for taking the time to chat with me. And uh, I, in meantime, since this is like uh, December, it's the end of the year and we are very, next week it's Christmas, I would like to wish you and to your family, uh, a Merry Christmas. Uh, and uh, we're gonna catch up definitely in uh, uh, next year. Antonio, once again, as always with you, it was a pleasure to share a stage with you. Maybe not a stage this time, but um, a Christmas um, coffee. I don't know if you can see my mug there against the screen drop, uh, but I look forward to further engagement, engagements with you next year. And may I also wish you uh, and your listeners and their families and yours uh, a happy holiday season. Thank you. Bye, Neil. Bye for now.